And you can see it when we're in it and when we're out of it. They see it all on our faces. So whatever it is that you have with you, just leave it up here. Let it go. Get into praise and worship. Let God move. And at the end, I thought it was all done, but today he gave me one powerful thing that he told me. His power is limitless. However, we limit his power. Remember that. So when we enter in, we'll allow God to be limitless. All right, so we've been talking a lot about unity lately, especially when it you know comes to worship and worship, worshiping together in unity. And so earlier this week, I came across this video from, her name's Brooke Ligertwood. I have a hard time pronouncing her last name, but she's a worship leader with Hillsong Worship. And she's talking about unity in worship, and this is her quote. <clears throat> it says, singing together in that way, in one accord, can literally build unity. Biologically, God designed it that way. When we sing with other voices, endorphins are actually released, as is oxytocin, which have been proven not only to help with anxiety and stress, but with trust and bonding. Some studies have even found that during group singing, people's heart rates actually start to sync up together. Imagine that, our hearts coming together in alignment. She says it reminds her of a quote from A.W. Tozer, which says, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord, being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious, and turn their eyes from God to strive for closer fellowship. So I thought, what a great way of explaining unity, especially when it comes to worship. Everybody together in one accord, solely focused on Jesus, nothing else. Not our own desires, not our own how we think we should worship, but solely focused on Jesus. So one of my favorite sounds is when a worship leader steps away from the mic, and all you hear is the entire crowd singing together, in one accord and perfect unity. It doesn't sound like a hundred different voices. It sounds like one beautiful voice compared to if all you heard was me singing loudly above everyone else, you'd probably all leave the service, right? Because it's not in unity and I'm a terrible singer, (laughs) which sucks because I love to sing. But anyways, so I got to make sure I'm with everyone else. But again, on the other hand, the times I cringe the most is when people seem to be doing their own thing, like when it quiets down and the atmosphere is shifting and someone is still trying to be loud. We're trying to force being loud, whether it's our praise, whether we're singing when no one else is, we're trying to force a shout at the wrong time, or when we're vocally praising and talking when the pastor is trying to pray or prophesy or the worship leader is trying to say something. So... You might be doing it out of the right heart's attitude. Whether you know it or not, though, it can be a distraction, and it takes the attention off of Jesus, and it brings it onto yourself. Um, And it takes it away from what he's trying to do and what he's uh, trying to say. So, see, when it gets quiet, that's the time we should be listening to that still, small voice. Um, 
but it's hard to stay focused hearing his voice when there's other voices constantly going around, going on around us. So yesterday morning, as I was reading and praying, Acts chapter 2 is quickened to me, which is funny because this morning Brad sent the same exact text about being in one accord, and then Nate posted something on Facebook. So I know we're all in one accord. But in Acts chapter 2, I want to read it quick. Verses 1 and 2 is the day of Pentecost, which if you don't know, today is Pentecost. Verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. In verse 2, it says, And suddenly, our God is the God of the suddenlies, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So you see, God poured out his spirit upon his people when they were in one accord in one place. So I looked up one accord, and these are some things I found. Another synonym for one accord is as one or in complete agreement. The Collins English Dictionary says, If a number of people do something with one accord, they do it together or at the same time because they agree what should be done. Okay, another one was the first gathering of church. In Acts chapter 2, they were in one heart, one mind, in one accord, which is perfect unity. So today, as we worship, when we're singing together, sing. If it's a song where we're being led to shout, then shout. If we're clapping, clap. And if it gets quiet, then get quiet and listen for God's voice. It's so awesome to see so many of us excited about the things of God, but it's, we've got to be careful that we don't let our excitement turn into an emotional response because we're not called to walk in the motions. We're not called to be led by emotions, but be led by the Spirit of God. So today, let's worship and be in one accord, and he will pour out his Spirit. something in the natural that is going to be a representation of the spiritual. We're going to do up here, you're going to do it out there. I want everybody, rows, just scoot together real quick. Come together, each row. Again, this is a physical representation of what we are going to do spiritually today. Join hands. And just, just lift your hands. Father, I thank you this morning that we are one heart, we are one mind, we are one spirit. United by your Holy Spirit. With all that we have, with all that we do this morning, God, may you be glorified. May you be exalted. May you be honored. May you be pleased in this place. Lord Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done. Holy Spirit, we give you the freedom to move, to do what you want to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.
Spirit. And we receive the fire of God to burn in our hearts, our lives. That purifying fire that cleanses, renews, restores. We receive it. Not our will. (laughs) Father, Your will. Your will. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in our hearts. Individually. And corporately as a church family. Vessels of honor. Sanctified and useful for the master. Prepared for every good work ahead. We consecrate and dedicate our lives to you, Lord. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord Jesus. How many want the fire of God? Amen. What we're going to do now, we're going to receive this morning's tithes and offerings for Harvest Church. The end of the service, we're going to bless Mike's socks off. Do you have socks on? Yeah, you do. Okay. And then tonight, we'll receive a love offering also. And uh, so, ushers, if you'd kindly wait upon the people, if you need an envelope for your giving, this is for Harvest Church. And then at the end of this service, we're going to receive a love offering. Amen. I want to give you a couple announcements. Number one, this Wednesday night, everyone say this Wednesday night. Pastor Kathy is going to begin to teach and... We've been in a strong season of prayer, but now we're making a shift. We're going to continue to pray. But she has a teaching gift. Amen. And so we want her to take at least this month, and we'll see where God leads then. But uh, you need to come. That's Wednesday night. And kids have their fun club. Last Wednesday they cooked, didn't they? I don't know. What are they doing now, Bia? Water balloon fight. We won't have anybody in church. They're going to want to throw water balloons. That'll be fun. Next announcement. This week, um, how many of you know Mary Jane? We have, we're blessed to have two Mary Janes. And uh, Mary Jane Osborne went into the hospital, and they thought it was heart. And they found a mass on her, on her colon. And so she had surgery yesterday. And she got through the surgery fine. And I don't know a lot of details. I'm going to go see her after service. But we're going to record this. Are we, are we on for her? Are we? Okay. So he's getting that all set up. And so she can watch the service. Amen. Let's stand up once more. Father, we thank you that you brought us this gift. Now, I thank you, Lord, for a word in season for this body. 
So, Lord, let the gifts and graces come forth that are resonant within Mike Plain. We thank you for him. Bless him, Father, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Give him a hand. Be seated. Oh, uh, I guess I'm on. Am I on? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm on. I don't know if the sound is on. But... You know, you come into settings like this, which, sad to say, has gotten too rare in our times in the church world. We get, we get so uh, focused on time. And I realize, you know, that there's a point where we have to be at least somewhat conscious of that. But sometimes we wonder why we don't have the encounters or the experiences that we desire is because we become the dictators of time rather than the receivers of God's desire. You know, I was, as we were worshiping, I, I was thinking about this, that this church has a, uh, a rich prophetic history, but it has an even more so rich prophetic future. Now, um, it's always good to look back over the history and remember things, but there's also a, a responsibility that we have for the future, for what God wants to do in our midst and what God's endeavoring to do um, in our lives. Today is, you know, uh, Pentecost. And... Um, Originally, what Pentecost was, and I'm going to talk to you and just real quickly give you a, an overview of the seven feasts of Jehovah. There were these seven feasts that the people of Israel were commanded to observe. And three times a year, they were commanded to come to Jerusalem to celebrate these. And some of these feasts overlapped. They were like within a week, they celebrated, you know, maybe three of the feasts. Um, but they were commanded to come to Israel because what these feasts were really what marked the people of Israel as the people of God. They celebrated them in their uniqueness because they were the people of God. And so just as we're gathered here today, there is a uniqueness to who we are because we're the people of God. We're not, we're not supposed to look like the world. You know? There's supposed to be something unique about us, set apart about us. Not weird. Okay, we weren't called to be weird. We were called to be the people of God. The people with the presence of God. You know, there's an order of the angels that are the closest to the throne of God are called the seraphim or seraphs. Seraphim is just a plural of seraph. And the word seraph means the burning ones. 
So the order of angels that are closest to the presence of God are the burning ones. Why? Because they are closest to the fire of the presence of God. And see, if we don't carry something of the, the fire of God, it's because we're not drawn close to the presence of God. All right? And so um, I think that's one of the things that so much that in, in the body of Christ today that, you know, we've got a lot of knowledge and uh, we've gained a lot of knowledge, but we really haven't stepped into the dimensions of the presence of God, which is where we really get equipped. So we have the seven feasts of Jehovah. I'm going to give them to you. And really, what the seven feasts of Jehovah are, it's a picture that is being presented to us. It's a picture of God's redemptive and restorative plan upon the earth. And so uh, there's three spring feasts. Then there's what they call a bridge feast. And there are three fall feasts. The three uh, spring feasts are the feast of the Passover, the feast of unleavened bread, and the feast of first fruits. Those are uh, a prophetic picture of work that God has already done upon the earth. The Passover was what? It basically was the, the, the passion of Christ, you know, Jesus dying on the cross which was the lamb slain, <laughs> okay? That's Passover. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is the forgiveness of sins that was de- finished, the finished work of the forgiveness of sins upon the cross. And then the, the Feast of uh, First Fruits was the resurrection. So those, those have been done, okay? The death, burial, resurrection, and ascension and the forgiveness of sins, the restoration of humanity back to you know, the, the portal is open now for us to have a relationship with God. And then there was the bridge feast, which is the feast of Pentecost, which we're going to talk about today. And then the, the three fall feasts are a prophetic picture of what God has yet to do upon the earth. So we have the feast of trumpets, will we Jesus return? That's why people ask me, when do you think Jesus is coming? I said, I don't know when he's exactly coming, but I, I do believe that he'll come during the time of the feast of trumpets. Why? Because the Bible talks that a trumpet will sound and he'll return. I think that's indications of that God's going to do something during this time. You know the thing about God is when it comes to these things? It's like even at the the pouring out at at Pentecost. When When the Spirit of God was poured out at Pentecost, I don't think that the angels came to to God and said, Oh, but did you know that it was Pentecost? Do you remember that it was Pentecost? And God was like, Oh, I didn't realize that. Isn't that a coincidence that this all happened at Pentecost? Isn't that amazing? No, God knew exactly. God knew strategically what he was doing. Because he tied this account in, Pentecost in, with something that, that the Jews had taken and, and, and had learned from, had been involved in their lives but in a natural way, and God said, really what this feast is for, so it's something beyond the natural, it's for something that I'm doing upon the earth prophetically and spiritually. So, anyway, the fall feast, the feast of trumpets, Jesus returned, the feast of atonement, which is the salvation of Christ to the Jews, the salvation of Israel, the, the people of Israel. You know that Israel... The, the nation of Israel has one of the highest rates of atheism per capita. 
That blew me away when I was in Israel a number of years ago, taking a tour. And uh, that's one of the things they told us is that atheism, or they have one of the most per capita highest rates of atheism than any other country in the earth. I'm thinking this is the land of God. It's rich in history. There's a lot more to it. I can't go into time. But anyway, so there will be the salvation of the Jews, which is the Feast of Atonement. And then the Feast of Tabernacles will be the millennial reign of Christ. So see, that's yet to come. So it's this beautiful picture of what God is doing. God's Again, God's redemptive and restorative plan upon the earth. God has a plan. God has a plan. You can also see it in this light. In the beginning, we start where? In a garden. Okay? We start in a garden. If you read the book of Revelation, like in Revelation chapter 20, 21, this ends in what? A garden. It begins in a garden, ends in a garden. In the Gospels, we see Jesus show up to the women at the tomb, as, and they thought he was what? A gardener. Why? It's a prophetic picture. It's a prophetic picture of what God is doing because God is a God of restoration. God is a God of redemption. So what had this started in a garden and, and man fell? Immediately God's redemptive plan begins, restorative plan begins to work, and God exposes us to this in what? That Jesus is a gardener. Why? Because he is seeding and cultivating and watering our lives with his love, with his forgiveness with his grace, with his mercy, with his power, with his joy, with his peace. He's gardening our lives if we'll allow him to. So let's talk a little bit more about this. Because I think sometimes what we do is we sequester the book of Acts encounter to just tongues. Tongues were there. Tongues was evident. Tongues has a purpose. I believe in tongues. I pray in tongues. You know, like Apostle Paul's, I pray in tongues more, probably more than you all. I don't know about, oh, I'm not that. I'm just using that. You might pray in tongues more than me. Here's something I learned, though. See, what, what happens is a lot of times we've gotten emotional about tongues rather than spiritual. See, I know some people that can pray circles around me in tongues. But they're meaner than a sack of rattlesnakes. And I, I just really question whether they're actually filled with the Spirit or what they're filled with. It seems like they're filled with meanness. And so we've made the, the outpouring all about tongues, and, and that's a part of it, but, but the outpouring was for a purpose. The outpouring was for an equipping. To equip us. Okay? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is for leading us into the redemptive and restorative work of God and for equipping us to be participators in that work. Pentecost reminds us that we are a covenant people empowered by the Holy Spirit to be His living representatives or witnesses upon the earth. So we forget that part. We get all infatuated with tongues, and we forget that there is an equipping of us to what? To be empowered to be the witnesses of him, for him, 
what? Not, not just in saying, but in living. How we live. Do we live by the Spirit? Do we live as people who are, are, are filled with the Spirit? You know, Romans says this, Romans 8, 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. It's an interesting verse. Years ago, I began to look at this and study this. It says, For as many as are led. That word led means to be under the influence. And Bobby and I know what it means to be under the influence. Maybe some of the others. Hopefully not too many. To be under the influence. What? When you're under the influence. When I was in drugs and alcohol, it dictated my world. It directed my world. Everything I did was around that. And so that word means that our lives should be under the influence or the centrality of the Spirit of God leading our lives, influencing us in the direction that God has upon the earth. For as many as are led, or as many as are under the influence of God, they are the sons of God. Now, it's not gender-based, necessarily. It doesn't mean that if you're a woman in the room, you can't be led by, you know, your spirit of God. There, I'm not a son, I'm a daughter. Well, it's, it's talking about a, a, a call, a position. So as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The weosthesia, which means the placed son. Not a son because they're the next in line. But a place son, a son, why? Because they are filled with this, these characteristics, loyalty and trustworthiness. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the trustworthy and loyal ones. See, when I, people tell me that they're being led by the Spirit, it's the characteristics I begin to look at their lives. Are they people, loyal people? Are they trustworthy people? Because of the, those are the characteristics that come into your lives when you're being led by the Spirit of God. I'm led by the Spirit of God. That's why I'm so mean. They don't say that, but that's the way they act. I'm led by the Spirit of God. That's why I'm a knothead. That's an Iowa term. I'm from Iowa. I don't live in Iowa, but I'm from Iowa. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the weosthesia. They're the people that have the characteristics of loyalty and trustworthiness. I don't know about you, but that's how I evaluate my life a lot of times. Am I walking in the loyalty, one, loyalty to the, the purpose and the plan of God for my life? But am I also a loyalty as a husband, you know, a father or grandfather? Am I walking in the loyalty and trustworthiness of that? In my local church, am I walking in the level of trustworthiness and loyalty and walking out and being a part of a body of Christ, a, a local church? Or am I walking out those characteristics because that's what the spirit of god does in your life in acts chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 listen to this i'm going to read this real quickly so now there were well because this is the account caleb started this i'm going to go a little better he did one and two we'll skip three and four and go to five through eleven because this is the pouring out of the spirit of god now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from uh, every, uh, every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are these not all uh, Galileans that are speaking? 
And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native tongue? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So here's the work, here's a picture of what the Spirit of God is doing. It is a picture of what I believe the Spirit of God is doing yet today. Is, a, is bringing together a unity and diversity. Because if you look at this, all of these different individuals, all of these different languages were gathered there, and all of a sudden, what? They began to hear the same message in their, own, in their native language. And so I believe it's a, a tremendous picture of what the Spirit of God is endeavoring to do today and pouring out into the body of Christ. Because right now the body of Christ has become so segmented, so divided at a time that I've never seen. Our biggest challenge today isn't liberalism. Our biggest challenge today is the division in the body of Christ. Our biggest challenge today is all the chaos that's going on in the body of Christ. God's not going to come and move in a significant way in the midst of a bunch of chaos. We've got to get our act together. That's why I believe, maybe I'll speak more on this tonight, I'm not sure. But that's why I believe that there is, and I'm beginning to see as I travel, a work of renewal within the body of Christ. Because we've got to get some junk out of us. And we've got to get some of the things of God in us. Okay? Because God's wanting to do a redemptive and restorative work upon the earth. God's got a plan. Now, God's not going to be denied. But the reality of it is, do we want to be a part of it? Because he started something. And it's, my Bible says he's faithful to finish what he started. Even with this church, God's faithful to finish what he started. And the finish is going to happen when Jesus returns. But there's some other things that God's wanting to do. You know, I don't know how many years ago it was. Pastor Mike and I talked about this on the phone recently. It was when Renee was still alive. So we were up here. I was up here speaking maybe 15 years ago. Something like that. She passed away 12 years ago. 15, 16 years ago. It doesn't matter. But I'll rem- I remember this vividly. We had spoken that morning. We were at the hotel room. We were going to be speaking that night. And and I had, uh, I don't even know where we were staying, somewhere here in town. I do remember this. They had a recliner in the room. And and that's like when you know you've stepped into a holy room is when it has a recliner in it to a holy place. But I remember I was laying in the recliner and I would fell asleep. And I think she was either sitting on the bed or laying in the bed reading or something. And she was probably reading her Bible, being more holy than me. But um, anyway, all of a sudden, I, I, I it sounded like, you know, like when they break the sound barrier, when a jet breaks a sound barrier? But it was like I heard this, this boom and the whole room shook. And I'd come flying up out of that recliner, and she's still over there on the bed, and she's, what's the matter? And I said, didn't you hear that? She said, no, I didn't hear anything. 
I said, didn't you hear that explosion? That t- shook the whole room. She's looking at me kind of weird like, didn't hear anything. It's like, okay. So I sat back down in the chair, and what I did, I got caught up in the vision. And what I saw was over Norfolk, I saw the angels, or the, the heavens split, and an angel came down through. This angel had two swords. Huge angel, two swords. And it said this, I've come to open up the heavens over Norfolk, Nebraska for the purposes of God to be established on the earth and completed. And I, it just shook me. I was like, whoa. And so we got to church that night, walked in back there. I walked through those doors, and that angel was standing right here. The keyboard wasn't here. That angel was standing right here with still those two swords in the See, those are, the, those are the prophetic things that God has started and established. And those are the things that God will be faithful to complete. But we have a part in this. We have a part in this. Are we going to join ourselves with the desire of God? Because, see, here's what I've found, is that you're gonna, if you're going to be involved with God, it takes intentionality. You just don't sit back and say, okay, God, we'll just do your thing. And God says, no, my thing is, is I'm going to do it, but, but I'm gonna involve, it's going to involve you, and you got a part, so you got to step in and do your part. Just like here in the book of Acts, what they had to do their part, they responded to the Spirit of God. And then it made me think about this. In John chapter 20, remember when Jesus kind of shows up to the disciples? He walks into the room, you know. <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, peace be with you. Because I would imagine if Jesus literally walked into the room, it would rattle our cage a little bit. Okay. I don't know about you, but it probably would rattle my cage a little bit. As much as I love Jesus, committed to him and everything, but if he walked in the room, I think it would rattle all of our cages just a little bit. So Jesus said to him, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So what I believe God is doing and beginning to do in this work of renewal is he is once again beginning to breathe on the church. Because we've been out of breath. And when we got out of breath, what we did is we started to do some things on our own. And it wasn't God. And whatever you go outside of God to get, you have to stay outside of God to keep. And so that's why God's endeavoring by the Spirit of God to bring this renewal. Why? Because He's trying to bring us back into the things that God is desiring. Because one of the things I've also found is that God won't authorize what He hasn't commissioned. We've been trying to get God to authorize some things He hasn't commissioned. 
Maybe one of the reasons you're frustrated in your life is because you're trying to live your life from a, a, a place of, of authorizing some things in your life that God hasn't commissioned for your life. So I would encourage you to step back, take some time, get into the place of prayer and find out what it is that God has really commissioned for your life. Now, we know we have the Great Commission, yes, but there, within the Great Commission, there are strategic, prophetic uh, things for your life, commissioned for your life within that. And that's where our challenges are. This is not, is it Burger King or whatever, do it my way? Which one? I don't know which one it is. This is not do it your way. Our responsibility is to find out the heart of God and connect our hearts with that. See, the early church breathed in the breath of God and breathed out the Word of God. My question to you is, what are you breathing in? What are you breathing in? There's so much in the body of Christ today, stuff that people are taking in, social media and different things. Some of those things can be good. We can use those for for, uh, good things. But there's so much junk out there. What are you breathing in? We were talking about this last night, and I, I shared this with Pastor Mike and Pastor Kathy, is that there's this scripture in Proverbs twelve fifteen says, A fool is in love with his own opinion, but wisdom means being teachable. We've gotten enamored with our opinions. Everybody has an opinion. The problem is everybody thinks their opinion is right. If I canvassed you this morning on a certain subject, you know, the St. Louis Cardinals, I'm sure there would be a variety of opinions about the Cardinals. Now, if I canvassed you on the Nebraska Cornhuskers, there may be unity. But it's because, see, we've become, become infatuated with our opinions. And we think, uh, you know, we become a world of opinions. So we're breathing in all of this stuff from our culture. Opinions. And we're becoming opinionated. And it's affecting us. Let me put it this way. But yet, it's infecting us. We need some disinfection by the Spirit of God because we need the early church. The reason they were so effective is because they breathed in the Spirit of God and breathed out the Word of God. A long time ago, I learned to listen to people's hearts, not their mouths, their hearts. Why? Because Matthew chapter 12 I think it's verse 34. says this, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when people start speaking opinions, their opinions, what is telling me what's either present or absent within their heart? What are we filling our lives with? It's what the Spirit of God came in. It said that it, it filled them. It filled them. Are you saying we can never have an opinion? No, that's not what I'm saying. But don't don't let it become gospel. 
don't let your opinion become gospel to you. Because most of the time, opinions are based upon circumstances or experiences. And your circumstances and experiences can change. So then what? Your opinion changes. But guess what? The truth of God never changes. And it's a guiding light to what it is that God is doing on the earth. That's why it's important for us to to understand this. You know the average Christian, quotation marks Christian, reads their Bible once a month? It's the latest stat. Also along with that stat is the average church attendance is once a month. So I figured that's when they're reading their Bibles, when they're at church. If we if we're not feeding on the truth, then what are we feeding on? Because what we feed on is what makes us up. It's where we get our makeup. It's where we get our worldview from. And see what God did at Pentecost is He completely changed the worldview of those early believers. Completely changed their worldview. So we live in an age where everybody's talking, but nobody's listening. Everybody's talking, but nobody's listening. If I really want to know who you are, if I really want to help you, I have to listen. See, if we really want to know who God is, we have to listen. Back in March of 2020, when when everything changed, I, I, man, I was like, neighbors are freaking out, and my wife was freaking out a little bit. She's a teacher at public schools. They shut public schools down. She didn't know whether she's going to have a job. All this stuff, and so finally, I took her aside and said, "Hey, you know, I, I've lived long enough to understand when these types of things happen." As an age joke. Um is you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to react to this or respond to it. And I said, the way that we're going to respond to this is if we seek the heart of God. And so when we did that, then peace came all over her. But in that time, I asked the Lord, what do you want me to do during this time? He said, I want you to listen. I spent all of 2020 and part of 2021 just listening. Listening to the Spirit of God and listening to the hearts of people. Because that's how I was able to help people. You know what it did? It, it released this peace on our life, like I talked about. And so when we got around our neighbors and other people, this peace started getting on them. And all of a sudden, they weren't freaking out anymore. Why? Because we were willing to listen. Are you listening? Are you listening? I remember an old story of uh, an old-time circuit preacher. His name was Rufus Mosley. One of those, you know, rode horses and went from town to town and was a preacher. And, and he said, here I found myself on the hotel room floor, laying on the floor, crying out to God. And he said, all of a sudden I realized this. He said, here lies a man who knows nothing, crying out to the one who knows everything. And the one who knows nothing is doing all the talking. I've never forgot that.
in her classic writing, Walking on Water, Madeline Leango wrote this. When I am constantly running, there is no time for being. And when there is no time for being, there is no time for listening. See, I, I was so glad to hear that you were, you know, these times on Wednesday nights, you're coming in, you're what? Because it's taking you away from all that running and allowing you to come in and, and, and be developed in being. And in your being, you begin to listen. And that's the power of Wednesday nights. That's the power, not just because it's Wednesday, but because of what God's doing in those times. It's a different setting that you will have on Sunday morning. It's a time that you can come in and just learn how to be. My gosh. The culture has messed with us so much, we don't even know who we are anymore. G.K. Chesterton said this, He who marries the spirit of the age will be widowed in the next. That's kind of what we're living out. Too much of the body of Christ has married the, the, the spirit of the age, and now things are changing. There's a new era. We've stepped into a new era. Whether you realize it or not, we have stepped into a new era. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're moving into a new time. We have moved into a new time. Okay? It's going to be challenging. But I'm excited. Because I like a good fight. I like a good fight. In the spirit. I was telling Pastor Mike and Kathy here this morning, we were talking about, you know, years ago, early on in being a a, a Christian, there was a group of us that started a church back in 1981. Six or seven couples, something like that, a few few other people. And we didn't know nothing. (laughs) We were about as spiritually astute as this pulpit. But here's what we did. We loved Jesus unconditionally. And we began to pray. And we'd, we'd never even heard of the word intercession. We didn't even know what that word was. I stumbled across a book years later by E.W. Kenyon on intercession. Started reading that book. I go, oh, that's what we've been doing. But, but, and we didn't realize how much the Spirit of God was leading us. But because our hearts were pure, we had a hunger and a desire just for Jesus and for one another. We loved one another. We were like a commune. <laughs> really, is what we were. We were like a little commune. But we, what is com- commune is a derivative of community. And so, man, we were some praying, praying fools. We'd get together, we'd pray. We'd cry out to God. God would move. And we were just like amazed. And God would move in our midst. But you know what we learned to do? We learned to contend for things in the Spirit. And I think we've lost that art in the body of Christ. 
If something doesn't work out, then we quit. We give up. Why? Because we don't know how to contend for something. We don't know how to pursue things. We don't know how to pursue the heart of God. But we don't know how to pursue the things that God desires to get done on the earth. And so we became contenders, man. We just we wouldn't let go. We wouldn't quit until we saw something happen. And I'm reminded of that often. I was just there recently, and I was reminded of that, of how even in my own life it was like, Mike, how you, you've really become kind of lackluster in this whole thing of contending for things. And so I've, I've made that a mandate for my life to pick back up and just begin to contend for things in the Spirit. Contend for things in the body of Christ. You know, we, can, we can talk about the state of the culture and all this and that, you know, everything, but, but I'm not going to be set, I'm not going to settle for that. You shouldn't settle for that. Why? Because an angel showed up with a prophetic message for you all. Maybe some of you weren't here then, but you're here now. And it isn't just for the, you know, necessarily for the individuals that were here. It is for what? The purpose of God for this church. The prophetic purpose of God for this church. God hasn't changed his mind. Quit letting the culture and the devil try to get you to change your mind about the prophetic promises of God. Be a spiritual people. Not emotional people. We have emotions, yes. But so many times people out through the years, I pastored for 25 years, I tell people, I'm being led by the Spirit. No, you're not. You're being goofy. You're being emotional. We have emotion. I understand that. Well, let's help you walk through some of that and really learn how to hear from the Spirit of God and move with the Spirit of God. Because that's where, that's what we'll, where we will be effective. <laughs> you see, you cannot be a prophetic voice to the culture if you're a product of the culture. You cannot be a prophetic voice to the culture if you are a product of the culture. Don't get me started on relevance. This whole thing about uh, through the church, you know, for a number of years, the church, well, we're trying to be relevant, we're trying to be relevant, we're trying to be relevant. Well, your whole pursuit of being relevant to the, to the culture, you become irrelevant to heaven. And re what's relevance is that we want to look like the world, we want to sound like the world, we want to act like the world. Why? So that the world will like us. When I read my Bible, it really talks about that they weren't really liked a lot. Let's get over the fact of we want to be liked. Yeah, I'm not trying to go around getting everybody ticked off at me. Probably got a few ticked off at me this morning, but they were less. That's not my endeavor. But my en <laughs> my endeavor is, is, is if I look like the world, sound like the world, act like the world, then what's unique about me? But this isn't in my notes, but we'll go there. Matthew chapter 5. So, well, you never preached out of the Bible. I'm about to. 
This is part of the, we know the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is in Matthew 5, chapter, or chapter 5, verse 13. It says this, Jesus is speaking here. He says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You notice he didn't say, you're to be relevant to the earth? He said, you're to be salt to the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste. See, I had a friend of mine, uh, it was a chemist, I asked him, I said, what's the deal with salt? And he said, anything that salt, con- whatever salt comes in contact with, it, it changes the chemical makeup of. He, and he used this word, he said, salt is an influencer. Jesus said, you are to be an influ- you are to be a, a an influence in the earth, not just an influence, but you're to be my influence, a representation of my influence on the earth. You know the apostle Paul said this. He said, "Follow me as I follow Christ." You know what he was. You know what he was not saying. <laughs> he wasn't saying, "Act just like me." That's not what Paul was saying. You know what he was literally saying? If you study this out in the Aramaic, you know what he's literally saying? He said, the aroma on Jesus that's on me, follow that aroma. Do you have the aroma of Jesus on your life? What's the aroma, the ore that you carry in your life? Okay? So Jesus goes on to say, you are the salt of the earth. You're to be an influence. But if if the salt or the influence has lost its taste. Now, that word taste is an interesting word. It means this, to be distinctive, interesting, and stimulating. See, when, we don't, when we're not being led by the Spirit, when we have no essence of the Spirit of God, the presence of Christ in our life, we're kind of like beige. You know what I mean? Just beige, kind of just neutral, kind of like there's nothing that stands out about us. Okay? Or they say this, you know, before you come to Jesus, you go out and paint the town red, as they say. Then you come to Christ, and now you go out and paint the town beige. You're boring. How can we be boring people? When we have the spirit of the living, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead living within us, how can we be so boring? No, there's supposed to be something unique, interesting, and distinct about our lives. And that doesn't always say that people are going to like us, but they will say there's something different about you. Yeah. There's something different about you. And sometimes we are like, we could stand off and I'm like, thank you. Thank you. I want there to be something different about my life. I just tell people, you know, people might think you're weird. They might say, you're weird. Just tell them, yeah. Or they may say it this way. They might say, you're nuts. I say, I may be nuts, but I'm screwed onto the right bolt. You know? So, stop and evaluate your life. Is there anything unique, distinct, or interesting about you because of what you possess 
of the attributes of the presence of Christ on your life. Okay? Um, I think I'm done. Well, I got it tonight, but this morning it's like, you know, blessed are the short-winded for they shall get to come back tonight. Stand with me this morning. If you stand, I'll quit. This is the last thing I'm going to say. You know, a preacher says this is the last thing I'm going to say. It's usually not the last thing. But it's the last thing. One of the things that we have to understand, it's critical for us to understand, is that we don't handle the presence of God. We host the presence of God. We don't handle the presence of God. We host the presence of God. Back in Second Samuel chapter 6, remember the account of David endeavoring to move the ark of the presence of God back to Jerusalem? What they do? They loaded it on a cart. They get to the threshing floor. The oxen stumble. Uzzah turns around and grabs a hold of the ark. And what happens? He died. It's a picture. One is... It should have never been loaded on a cart. That's the way the Philistines moved it. So if you're not careful, you'll let the world determine what it is that you have a picture of God as. If we go back, we find out that the, the Ark of the Presence was to be carried by the priest on poles so that nobody, no human was touching it. Why? Because God was a holy God. And so Uzzah, in a good attention, he wasn't being evil, Reaches back, but God's a just God. And grabs a holy ark, and what happens? He dies. And it was a picture of God saying, look, you can't handle my presence. You host my presence. And many times what we've done as a people of God is we've tried to handle the presence of God. Meaning this, well, God, you can do this or you can do that in my life. Or even comes back to what I started in the beginning. It's like, okay, God, i got ten minutes here for you to do something in my life. What is that? That's handling the presence of God. You know what happens when God begins to move in my life? I shut everything else off. I shut everything else down. Why? Because the presence of God is there. I'm not going to miss it. Because I know it's transformative for my life. And I know it's going to be good. Because God's a good God. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you. If you could be here tonight, that'd be great. Awesome. Pastor Mike. It's important. Many times you write down, I wrote down some nuggets that he said. We want to host the Holy Ghost. Amen. Praise God. Tonight at 6 o'clock, but before we leave today, I want to receive a love offering for Mike. So if you need an envelope, ushers will kindly wait upon you. Then we're going to stand and we're going to pray for Mary Jane. Are you still recording? Good. Please, if you can, come on Wednesday night.
and you'll get another perspective. It'll be good. I appreciate these two men speaking, sharing a little bit before service. I told Mike today, my role in the days ahead is going to be this. You get that? Yeah. The gifts are rising up within the body. I won't have to bang the drum anymore. Others will be drumming with me. If you're visiting today, God bless you. We're glad to have you. Come back and see us. Let's stand to our feet. Father, we receive everything that you have for us this day. And Holy Spirit, we're so grateful that you're dealing with all of our hearts. Refining, rearranging. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your mercy, and your favor this day. Father, we speak healing, life, and strength to Mary Jane this day. We send your word to heal and to deliver her in the name of Jesus. No fear but peace to guard our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. We praise you and thank you that we're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and we overcome by that blood in the word of our testimony. Say, Mary Jane, you're blessed. You're made whole. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock.